What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. In Alabama, HB1 is a medical bill. The, The first bill that they put in would make it a felony to treat transgender young people and would force school employees and administrators to out anyone who's trans or questioning in their schools to their parents. That is the first thing that was on the agenda in Alabama. And we have so many people who don't have jobs, who are going to face eviction, who can barely put food on the table, who are suffering greatly in this pandemic. And that's the first thing on your mind? Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we're talking to a Hall of Fame triathlete, a six-time member of Team USA, and the first transgender man to represent the United States in international competition, Chris Mosier. Also, I've got some choice words about Bill Belichick uh, and his refusal of uh, Donald Trump's Presidential Medal of Freedom, that incredibly prestigious award that's been given to people like Rush Limbaugh and Lou Holtz. Um, I also have the Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down awards and more. But first, let's talk to Chris Mosier. But let me just start by asking you, Chris, just just generally, you know, what, what are your reaction to the events of the last week, the coup in Washington and the way uh, Trump seems to be being dragged kicking and screaming and bloodily from the White House. It's pretty predictable. I think that we've seen this coming for the last four years. I This is the exit that I imagined. And in in his wake, leaving just a trail of flames. <laughs> it, that's uh, sort of how I picture it. I know there was one last jab against trans uh, transgender student athletes before Betsy DeVos left. Um, I expect just to, you know, a, a path of wreckage behind him. And, you know, I think uh, what we saw happen at the Capitol and the reaction from lawmakers in the aftermath really just solidifies what we've what has been greatly exposed and what we've known for a very long time is that there are certain people that the people in office care about and there are certain people that they don't. Mm. And I think that the light that has been 
you know, really um, cast down upon white supremacy in this country and how it plays into every decision that's been made in the last four years. Uh, you know, we have we we have a great deal of work to do. Why why do you think that attacking trans people in general and trans athletes in particular has been such a cornerstone for this erratic presidency? I mean, you know, Trump jumps around all over the place, but there have been these certain consistencies over the last four years, and one of them has been this focus on yeah. whether you want to call it the marginalization, the demonization, the attacks on trans people. Why, why do you think that that has been so pronounced in this Trump era? I think there are a couple of things. It is in part due to him and his leadership and this being an issue that I think he can move people on. But I don't actually know if he has any strong opinions on his own. So I think a lot of this has been brought forward by other lawmakers and particularly a lobbying group that has been making it their life's mission to make life miserable for trans people. Uh, we've seen the the rise of anti-trans rhetoric and uh, TERFs in the UK, and some of these organizations focus specifically on keeping athletes out of sport. And that's sort of their entry point into trying to erase trans people from public life. Some of these organizations that focus on sports also focus on prisons and the prison system, making sure that trans women are housed with men. And, you know, it's there's a there's a clear underlying you know effort to actively discriminate and harass trans people. I think that that lobbying group infiltrated you know the lawmakers. And if you look at the laws or at the bills that are out there, uh, many of them have the very same language, and they're popping up in states across the country. And I think that that they're just sort of fishing with this issue because it is something that is so polarizing for people. It's something that really drives a wedge in a voter base. And and we've seen that that there's often an LGBTQ issue, quote unquote, that will separate voters. And when marriage equality passed, it, it, it the focus shifted over to trans people in restrooms and now to trans people in sport. And I think that that restroom idea is something that's really important because these bills aren't targeting people like me. They're not they're not targeting athletes like me. They're very specifically targeting transgender women and girls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's where they focus their ire. Um, you, you mentioned that the importance of it is to try to make, you know, inroads and split people and the like. Is it successful? Do you think they've been successful um, in being able to, you know, reach people who might say, well, I have no problem with trans people, but oh, trans women in sports, oh, that that sends me all, you know, into a rage. Have they, have they been able to make successful inroads or do you think this has been a, uh, a foolish venture on their part? Unfortunately, I think that they have. And I think that it's, this is this will be the moment where I plug my favorite documentary now. Uh, if anyone has not seen the documentary Disclosure on Netflix, I highly recommend everybody see that. In the, it's just phenomenal documentary about how trans people have been covered in the media over time. But there's a lot in there that speaks to what is happening now, not just in sports, but for trans people and the trans community as a whole. This representation that is so negative, when we live in this world of you know, tweets as headlines, tweets as news, it's very easy for headlines to be confusing to people, to not capture the nuance, or to just outright be wrong. 
And people take that as fact. And so I think that it's been actually pretty successful because what the repetition of hearing these headlines of, uh, you know, I don't even want to repeat them because it's not true. And I don't want that in my words. Uh, a lot of these these headlines are based on stereotypes, myths and misconceptions. You know, it's it's something like less than 20 percent of the American population actually knows a trans person in real life. And so if you have 80 percent of people who have never met someone like me and all they're left with is headlines and tweets and, you know, mis misinformation, it's not going to be a very easy road for us. Mm. So where are we in your mind in the long struggle for acceptance for trans athletes right now? I think that we, you know, we have slid backwards in the last several years, I think. Right now, we're at a really pivotal and critical moment in uh, in our policymaking and in the future for trans athletes. In 2003, the IOC made a rule allowing trans athletes to compete. And in 2015, I was part of challenging that rule to get it changed to what it's updated to now. So talking broadly now, sport at the highest level has a pathway for transgender athletes to compete. And the NCAA has had a policy since 2010 about, and states across the country have had these high school policies that range from being good to totally prohibitive to, uh, to athletes. But this is the first time in the last two years, really the first time that we've seen lawmakers try to get involved in this. And so what we're seeing is that this is based on political motivation, not on allowing trans kids to have the same opportunity to play as their peers. All of these, you know, there's a there's a outright ban in world rugby that totally prohibits transgender women from participating. And so we're seeing that while in the last 10 years since I've been out, there was this increase in policies, increase in good policies, more people talking about the issue. Just in the last two to three years, we've seen this slide backwards. Now lawmakers want to make it illegal for kids to play sport. <laughs> and uh, we're also seeing that paired with healthcare bills that would prevent trans people from getting gender affirming care. So I think we have a long way to go to to be more inclusive. And it, you know, that said, I think that there are pockets of people and particularly within the sports community that really get it, that really want to, you know, prioritize inclusion and talk about, uh, you know, how it, it it's not an either or. It doesn't have to be an either or for inclusion. It is possible to have inclusive and fair play um, as much as sport in any capacity is fair. We don't have to choose between fairness and safety in sport when we're welcoming trans athletes on our team. So I think people are thinking about that and hopefully we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. How important was it when, um, and recently when athletes like Billie Jean King and Megan Rapinoe signed on to a brief defending trans women in sports? How important are, are uh, instances like that when cis, famous cis women athletes uh, stand up for the rights of trans women? It's it's critical because that's what people are looking for. Unfortunately, th those are the voices that really matter because those are the people who have established themselves in sport, and who are saying, you know, sport is for everyone, and trans women are women, and we and we want them on our teams. 
And to have that come from those voices is really critical. You know, we have the support of the Women's Sports Foundation, which yeah. is inclusive of trans athletes. And I think that the people who are making these bills are largely cis white men, older cis white men, who, in my opinion, have probably no care about women's sports outside of this. And all of these all of these bills are being packaged as a way to, quote unquote, protect women's sports or save women's sports. But and we know that there are many very real problems in gender equity in sports, but trans athletes are not one of them. And so when we have these strong women's voices saying you know, that that they want sport to be inclusive, I think it goes a long way. I don't know that it's enough to sway lawmakers, but I certainly think that it can help influence public opinion for those folks who really just lack the information and are looking at headlines for for their opinion. Mm. Now, what do you think the greatest misconception is when people talk about the issue of trans women in sports? Most of the time when people are talking about trans women in sports, they are not actually talking about trans women in sports. And that's really uh, what lawmakers are talking about and the, the, the people who are anti-inclusion are talking about is often talking about men pretending to be women to dominate in women's sports. Mm-hmm. And that is a very separate issue. And all of the teams and leagues that I know of have rules in place to prevent men from playing with women. But trans women are women and trans girls are girls and they belong in girls and women's sports. And so in the even just in the conversation about it, people are negating and erasing the identity of the trans person and not actually taking into consideration what it means to be transgender. There are not men pretending to be women to get ahead in women's sports. It's just not happening. And that's really a very common narrative that comes up when people are talking about this. Mm. And where are we in the department of of trans men and inclusion in that side of of sports? When the IOC policy was changed in 2015, it removed all of the restrictions for transgender men to participate with men. So it gave me a clear pathway for my world championship race to say there's no hormone requirement. There's no surgery requirement. If you identify as a man, you can compete with men. And it's a, that's a very different stark contrast from how trans women are treated in sport. And that's at the IOC level, which governs national governing bodies uh, or gives the guidance for national governing bodies, although some of them have different policies. And it's trickled down, you know, even into the NCAA. That's the policy that exists. So largely trans men have been left out of this conversation, and it is rooted deeply in sexism and people's perceptions about who will be a good athlete who is capable of of competition and the, just the flat out fact that people don't think that I would be competitive with men because I was assigned female at birth. Mm. Now, if I could ask you, um, if I could shift to a bit more of a, of a personal question, if that's okay. Um, Go for it. It's such a treat to talk to you as you know, you're a trailblazer. You're the first transgender man to represent the United States in international competition. Uh, you know, you're you're someone for the history books. Is that more a blessing or a burden as you move through these circles? David, it is an absolute blessing. <laughs> uh, I I really take my role as a role model very seriously, and I think it's it's in fact it's it's the motivation that I have to compete in sports on some days. It's 
it goes hand in hand. I am a competitive person. I love competition. I love seeing how far I can push my body. And I love I love breaking barriers. <laughs> I do love that part of making a clearer pathway for the people who come after me. And that idea of of knowing that I have the opportunity to be the role model that I wish that I had, to be the person that I wish I had when I was younger, uh, be the person I needed when I was younger, to see that reflection is a it's it's a blessing. I mean, it's just such a great opportunity to help other people realize their greatness in seeing me and and having it be um, affirmational for them. Mm. You once said that an Ironman race is not as difficult as being trans. Um, and I was hoping you could explain that and speak about that and also uh, let us know if you think that's going to be the case in the years ahead for, for young trans athletes. When I did my first Ironman race, it was my first race as male after competing as female in triathlon for the year before. And I just, I remember on the run, so an Ironman race is 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, followed by a marathon run 26.2 miles after. No breaks in between uh, for folks asking. And as I was going through the final leg of the run, I think everybody, you know, most people in that race sort of start to fall apart in the end. It's a long day. And what kept running through my mind was that you know, this was something that I paid for, that I, I wanted to do. I signed up voluntarily to do this race. This is, you know, that was on me. Living my life every day as a trans person is much more difficult than that experience of trying to make it through those last five miles. Mm. And that it was that kept playing in my mind of saying like, I signed up for this. This is nothing compared to, you know, the experiences that I have every day in, in just being a trans person existing in this world. And I should note, you know, I'm a white trans man who's perceived to be straight because I'm in a relationship with a woman versus, you know, my experience being so incredibly different than anyone who's a trans femme or a trans woman, anyone who is non-binary, anyone who is a person of color, you know, the way that the way that trans people who are black and brown are treated versus the way I'm treated is so incredibly different. You know, all of these things are running through my mind, and this is just my experience to say, you know, me, that there's no point in sport that I have pushed to that has equaled the pain that I've felt being trans. And when you say that, you're talking about the way society treats trans people. Yeah, not like, you know, not like physical pain, you know, like, like that, that, that emotional pain of, you know, whether it's been my own personal experiences, uh, discrimination, harassment, which has been light on the scale, you know, by comparison to other members of my community, or seeing, you know, waking up and just seeing that another trans woman of color has been murdered, or a trans man recently in Puerto Rico was murdered, and and, and we are misgendered in our death, and we are not respected and not talked about appropriately, and, you know, the, the way general disrespect that happens even after one passes is astounding to me. And that is what pains me. That's, that's what motivates me to push myself harder, you know, knowing that nothing I do in running or biking or any other sport is going to match that pain. You know, one of the reasons why I believe that anti-trans forces have focused on sports is because they fear sports because sports historically, whether you're talking about race, gender, sexuality, has been a force that's broken down these walls and proven to be a path 
towards genuine, you know, societal understanding. And so that they're trying to put a roadblock in sports when it comes to to trans athletes and trans people. Um, That's it. That's it. You nailed it. Oh, I mean, okay. sport. Sport is a vehicle for social change, and I've always said that the reason that it's so important that we train allies on trans inclusion, that that I go travel the country and speak at schools and athletic departments talking about this stuff, is that sport is a vehicle for social change. This is like why your podcast is so great, Dave, is because you highlight all of these things about the moments where the change that we see in sport then does filter out into the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And sport is one of those places where even if you hate your neighbor down the hall, you know, for a variety of reasons of living situation, the fact that you're both Chicago Cubs fans can bring you together. Mm-hmm. Sport has that magic. And even for people who don't play it themselves, the, the, like the fandom and the community that comes around sports, it, it, it takes everything that we are about, the family, the, the connections, the community within sports, and it brings it out into the world. And so if we can create change, in terms of inclusion here within sport, you know, imagine how that ripples out into our into our buildings and our workplaces and our communities outside of a, of a quarter of field. That, that's exactly what um, where, where I was heading, because um, I, I wanted to ask you if you had any stories or experiences of actually seeing cis athletes shifting in terms of their prejudices, just by the fact that they're competing alongside you or against you? Well, my experience has been really interesting in that, you know, I alluded to it earlier that, you know, as a trans man, people kind of shrug their shoulders about me being there. And also, I think when I show up at races, people aren't aren't nailing me as as transgender unless they know me, right? So they're not looking at me and saying, oh, I'm, I'm competing against a trans guy today. When people have found out after a race, uh, a, a good example is I won a race overall and had a nice moment when the second place guy crossed the finish line, you know, good sportsmanship, congratulations. Uh, a couple of days later, he found me online and, and all of my stuff is very trans focused and, and activisty online. And, you know, he said, congrats on the race again. Awesome day for you. And I think it's really cool what you're doing. You know, I'm just so happy to see that you're out there with us. And, it, that was a, you know, sort of that's sort of encapsulates the experience that I've had largely is that people don't really tend to care. And, and even if I win a race, I get a shrug like like ah, this is probably a one off. He won't do it again. <laughs> and even when I made Team USA, it's a shrug or an all-American status. It, it's fine. Uh, and I think that, that goes back to not being perceived as a threat. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, think within sport that. Each of those interactions is really, really valuable because it sort of uh, actualizes a trans person for people. And that visibility piece is so incredibly important because if you don't know somebody who's trans, you will, will have a very different, very different picture and idea based on what is out there in the media than who we actually are. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, government plays a big role in that, like whether they're in a pose of of demonization or an oppose of actually protecting the civil rights of, of trans people. Of course, that goes for, for all, all oppressed people. Um, did, how hopeful are you about the Biden administration and who they have coming in, in terms of changing the government's posture on these issues? Very, very confident. I mean, in his, in his 
in uh, in his inauguration speech or not inauguration, sorry, his acceptance speech, he mentioned transgender people. And I that was a significant moment because it was the first time any incoming president included that as part of the people that they are serving. And it, it didn't go unnoticed by our community. When Trump took office, the very first day that he was in office, the LGBTQ civil rights pages all disappeared from the website. Mm. And, you know, President Obama did a, a, a long, had a long time of building that up, of building up um, not just content, but but programming around the LGBTQ community gone in a night. And so, you know, I'm I'm confident that will reappear overnight when when Biden takes office, and I think that he's building a team around him where I, I'm I I believe he feels that he needs that team. Um, I think that's the smart thing. I, I think that that's the the best way to govern. Is he's clearly not an expert about LGBTQ issues. Bring in people who are, and I think that that there will be an incredible team in office. And I mean, honestly. The bar's pretty low right now, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like anything is anything that he throws us is going to be uh, a move in the right direction. And what I've listened to is uh, what I've heard is he has a commitment to marginalized communities and making sure that that our basic humanity is not just addressed, but you know supported in ways that it has not been for years. And did you feel confident? Uh, going forward that, you know, because it's not, of course, just at what Biden says or as people say, but there are all these battles at the state level, ba battles at the state legislature. Uh, there have been some real victories um, on the side of tr to protect trans youth and their access to sports. Um, and there have also been these real attacks. Like, how do you feel about the current balance of forces? We are going to be outnumbered for a little bit, I think, on this. And we collectively, like, people who believe all people are people and should be <laughs> treated with basic human rights, uh, you know, in terms of racial justice, in terms of religious bias, in terms of LGBTQ inclusion, all of this is, is in terms of women's rights, all of this is an uphill battle for, for at least two years. And you you nailed it. I mean, just because we get a new president doesn't mean that things change overnight. We still have elected officials at the state and local level, and that really makes a difference. So it's so important that people get out and vote in their state and local elections because it's not just top-down governing here. It, it, you know, Biden doesn't get to just snap his fingers and and make equal rights for all. And it, I mean, that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, but we have we have all these bills on the table, and we'll have more by the probably by the time this podcast comes out, there will be more. Uh, bills against trans youth and uh, against our health care. And so I think that we have an uphill battle for the next year or so, at least in this legislative session, until this issue sort of dies out and, and the conservative folks can think of something else that they want to attack. Mm. Very good indeed. Very good and very important point. Um, you've been so generous with your time. I appreciate it. I, I got to ask you, though, first and foremost, who are your athletic heroes? Like you, you uh, must have had some inspiration getting into sports of people you looked up to when you were growing up and said, yeah, I want to test myself the way this person has. 
It's awesome to look back on this because I did grow up in Chicago in the 90s and was a Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan fan. So athletically, you know, I was dreaming about hitting the buzzer beater and winning the championship, you know, pumping my fist in the air. But the sports heroes that I had outside of of my Chicago Bulls were John Carlos and Tommy Smith. Uh, when I was 10 years old, so a, a little 10-year-old girl, <laughs> uh, I ripped out a magazine uh, full-page uh, picture of, of the fist on Mexico City stand, and I had that on my wall through college. And wow. it was athletes like um, Roberto Clemente was one of my heroes. And I think this deeply confused people around me in, <laughs> because I, w- I was choosing people who, who weren't really my friend's heroes. Uh, but when I see the common thread was just all, you know, Jackie Robinson, Billie Jean King, social justice was a common thread. It was athletes who used their platform to create social change. So, uh, yeah, that was definitely my uh, path was laid out ahead of me. I just didn't know it at that time. Wow, that, that that's that's really something. You just, well, what attracted you to the photo? What attracted you to that? I mean, 1968, so you know, 30 almost like 30 years before. Like, what what attracted young Chris to this photo of these two two men raising their fists up in the air? It was this moment of taking a stand, and I think that as a as a kid, I was always a very independent person. I felt like I had a pretty strong grasp on my identity and myself, but without having the words of being trans or, you know, role models or people I could look to. I didn't know I was trans until after college. So, you know, long time before that, but I just felt like myself and I felt probably somewhat misunderstood because I didn't fit in with my peers. And I always felt like the place that I was the most respected, that I belonged, that I that I felt the most at home was on a court or a field through sports. So I think there was something about that blend of of creating a better life for yourself outside of sport happening happening in sport in that moment that really just spoke to me. Mm. That's really good. That's really that's really beautiful. Did did you read uh, Masha Gessen's piece in the New Yorker about the need to train change the terms of the debate on trans kids? No, I don't think I did. Oh, it just came out this week. We'll we'll just edit out that I um, okay. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's spectacular. Um, okay, and I, I strongly strongly recommend it. I'll I'll retweet it right now so you see it right in my feed if you. Oh, great. Check it out. Um, yeah, it's it's making all the right people upset. So <laughs> perfect. <laughs> uh, that's it. Sometimes that's how I judge something. Um, yeah. So so that that that's really interesting. Like growing up in Chicago, seeing Smith and Carlos, feeling that 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 identification with a sense of resistance. Um, what about and this? I always ask people this who are on the show. What about? Sorry about the dog. Uh, <laughs> What about music? Uh, what kind of music uh, do you listen to when you're thinking about how to organize today? What, what, what's what's in your uh, what's on your playlist? Uh, my playlist is mostly hip hop, uh, but has expanded to some lo-fi hip hop, which is without words, and it's a little jazzier. Um, I think I have I'm deeply troubled by hip hop just because I 
kind of know better now. <laughs> I think I, I grew up with hip hop. I love I love you know I love the beats. I love the storytelling. Uh, I really love the storytelling and you know just becoming aware of the misogyny and and sexism that is inherent in in that music in most forms um, has kind of driven me away from it being in heavy rotation. Mm-hmm. No. Understood indeed. But any any particular this lo-fi non-word hip hop, any particular artists or anything you can recommend? Oh my gosh. Uh yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. Uh you know, the funny thing is I, when I usually just turn it on, I just leave it running in the background. But there's one artist, uh, it's Glimlip that I really like. All right. Well, we'll be sure there to play go. some as we do the outro. Is there anything I'm forgetting, Chris? Anything you'd like to talk about that we did not cover? Uh, I'm really grateful that you're raising awareness on this. You know, we are at a moment right now where bills are moving quickly. And, you know, we saw in 2020 in the legislative session happening in March, just before everything shut down for COVID, the state of Idaho slid their bill through to ban trans athletes at high school and collegiate level competition in the state of Idaho. It's being challenged right now by the ACLU and other organizations, you know, but, but having that precedent, it makes it very dangerous for us moving forward in 2021. And right now, you know, it's like these, these bills are, are being slid under the rug or popping up at a Monday morning hearing without giving people ample time to talk about it. It's almost as though lawmakers have their minds already set and and it doesn't matter and i saw this in idaho it doesn't matter what any young person shared about their personal experience a coach shared about wanting to be an inclusive space teammates could share the fact that they want trans people on their teams none of this matters i mean the the decision is already made so it's a it's a heartbreaking moment to see young kids and and even older trans people have to listen to their identities being debated and negated in a public forum from officials that are voted in who should be protecting their communities. If anybody is interested in this issue, it is really, really important that we have allies speak out. And folks can go to my social media on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at the Chris Mosier to find ways to speak up and content to share. And go to my website, transathlete.com, and there's a whole take action page where people in the states that these bills are popping up and even out of these states can find ways to get involved to tell lawmakers, you know, we value inclusion and it is not right to create sweeping discrimination bills against one of the most vulnerable populations in our country. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, and, And we'll blast that website out far and wide. Um, have you ever had the chance to get one of these people in a room and just say to them that there's a pandemic going on, thousands of people are dying every day, you've got, you just had a near coup in Washington, you have all these huge issues, and your number one issue is making sure that trans kids don't have access to medicine or that trans athletes don't have access to the playing field. What, 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 what is going through your head? Have you ever had the chance just to ask someone why this is so important to them when there's so many other issues out there? In March of last year, I traveled to Boise, Idaho, to speak with lawmakers and their community pr- 
prior to like when when HB 500 was being debated. So while I was in the room listening to these lawmakers, they were not interested in meeting with me one on one. I found I I had an interaction in the hallway of the Capitol building with one of the people who introduced HB 500, and when I walked away from that, I mean I was shaking. I I was my whole insides were on fire, and you know they, they didn't want to talk to me. They had something else very important that they had to do. It's probably better better for both of us, but uh, you know I I just don't understand what would make people hate someone like me so much and it, i i feel like i can take it i have i have developed a thick skin over time i have put myself in a position to be a public figure i talk all the time about being a trans person and i feel i have a lot of privilege to be relatively safe in this world but there are a lot of people and a lot of young people who don't have that privilege you know you you nailed it in alabama hb1 is a medical bill. The, the first bill that they put in would make it a felony to treat transgender young people and would force school employees and administrators to out anyone who's trans or questioning in their schools to their parents. That is oh. the first thing that was on the agenda in Alabama. And we have so many people who don't have jobs, who are going to face eviction, who can barely put food on the table, who are suffering greatly in this pandemic. And that's the first thing on your mind? I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know whether it's it, it's it's distraction is if it's just wedge politics for them if it's if it's some form of I don't know like like psychosis I don't understand how their focus can be about how do we take the most vulnerable people and make their lives worse mm-hmm. uh, when, when everything else is going on right now mm-hmm. it just. Mm-hmm. It boggles the mind. I'm so glad that that Chris, that you're doing this work. So grateful for it. Um, so, any any other folks you think we should follow on social media to keep us um, up to date on what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. I think you should follow Chase Strangio. Uh, Chase is a lawyer at ACLU, and I'm sure you can link up his profile. Uh, Chase is constantly tracking these bills and uh, finding action ways for people to get involved. And then also uh, a past guest that you've had on the show, Katie Barnes. Uh, they are a phenomenal journa- journalist who often cover trans and non-binary athletes in a in a really awesome and respectful way that that sometimes is lacking in other uh, journalistic efforts. So Katie Barnes and Chase, uh, I definitely think that you should follow them. I believe Katie's going to have a book coming out as well. That that is right. Out. We're going to tear up that pre-order. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, Katie, if you're listening, uh, you have a place on this show when the book drops. Yes. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you. Appreciate the podcast. And uh, I forgot to mention at the top that I hope that uh, Sit Your Ass Down includes that Olympian who was at the Capitol. Ah, yes. (laughs) I forgot to mention. uh, Cleet Keller, I believe. Oh man! And as a lot of people are asking, I wonder if his middle name starts with a K. Uh, <laughs> is this something an off-traffic joke at the moment? But, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> wouldn't doubt it. Um, you know, th- thank you so much, Chris. Really do appreciate it. And of course, uh, we'll let you know as soon as the podcast drops. Awesome. Thank you. I right, be well. 
You too. Thanks. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words about Bill Belichick spurning Trump's Medal of Freedom. Okay, look, Donald Trump has always viewed sports as central to his authoritarian political project. His attacks on Colin Kaepernick and LeBron James, his call to fire players for protesting police violence, and his bragging that he saved college football from those concerned that the sport would lead to super spreading the coronavirus, which of course it did. These are all examples of ways he has used our games as his own poisonous platform. Trump is also delighted in the sycophancy of athletes, coaches, and franchise owners who are willing to bend the knee before him and pledge their allegiance. Yet there is no category of sportsmen more appealing to Trump than the ones that mirror his own toxic masculinity. He has no regard for women's sports at all. He loves the ultimate fighting championship and their fake macho tough guy president, Dana White. He preens with joy when hearing that golfers like Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus show him affection. Trump is not a lover of sports. He is a lover of a noxious goulash of alpha male horseshit that represents the worst of sports. Now, no one exemplifies this quite like Bill Belichick, the New England Patriots coach with the six Super Bowl rings, a demeanor that redefines gruff, and a belief that his own workers should have no days off, is everything Trump loves, a winner who loves him back. In 2016, the night before the election, Trump read a letter written to him by Belichick, effusive in its praise. It included the lines... You have proved to be the ultimate competitor and fighter. Your leadership is amazing. I've always had tremendous respect for you, but the toughness and perseverance you have displayed over the past year is remarkable. Hopefully tomorrow's election results will give you the opportunity to make America great again. And then Belichick said later that that letter was not political, it was personal. Okay. That's why it came as no surprise in the aftermath of the fascist riot on Capitol Hill when it was announced that Trump would be bestowing the Presidential Medal of Freedom upon Bill Belichick. And that's also why it came as an even greater surprise when Belichick turned it down. Here's the at times important, times sincere statement that Belichick released announcing his refusal. I want to read this whole thing. You got to hear this. Recently, I was offered the opportunity to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which I was flattered by out of respect for what the honor represents and the end admiration for prior recipients. Subsequently, the tragic events of last week occurred and the decision has been made not to move forward with the award. Above all, I'm an American citizen with great reverence for our nation's values, freedom, and democracy. I know I also represent my family and the New England Patriots team. 
and then he says, one of the most rewarding things in my professional career took place in 2020 when through the great leadership within our team, conversations about social justice, equality, and human rights moved to the forefront and became actions. Continuing those efforts while remaining true to the people, team, and country I love outweigh the benefits of any individual award. Before anyone gives Belichick a cookie, we should be clear that if he had accepted this award, it would have been a scar in his reputation, an indelible mark that no number of Super Bowl rings would have been able to cover up. To be used as a prop by this president while Capitol Hill police officers were still having their funerals planned was beyond the pale, even for Belichick. In addition, it is difficult to imagine any social justice initiative taken up by the Patriots to ever be taken seriously by anyone again. Then there's the issue of the Patriots players themselves. Belichick depends upon his mystique as a leader of men. If players don't want to come to New England, then Belichick's plan of rebuilding and proving that he can win without former quarterback Tom Brady goes by the wayside. And imagine if current players took to social media to express their disgust or disdain. His mystique would quickly become a depreciating asset. Make no mistake, Belichick did the right thing. Whether he did it for the wrong reasons is something worth pondering, especially as Trump allies begin to disembark from his sinking rat-infested ship. Trump's presidency is coming to an end. His exploitation of sports has now been mortally wounded as well, and by someone he assumed would never brandish the blade. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down. The Just Stand Up Award this week goes to, believe it or not, Kyrie Irving, uh, the Brooklyn Nets point guard who has chosen not to go to work. I'm sorry, but in the context of a pandemic, all I can do is appreciate anybody who is saying, I'm not going to work. Especially in the NBA, where it seems to be there are outbreaks happening on every other team, including my Washington Wizards. They can't play their games. Because so many people have COVID. Maybe, just maybe, not playing in a hermetically sealed bubble results in this. And maybe, just maybe, if players don't want to go away from their families for months at a time and live in a bubble in Disney World, maybe we just shouldn't play. Why not wait until the players can actually get vaccinated? And yes, they should wait online with everybody else. Why not wait until after the vaccinations and then start the season then? Why not take the time off? Why do this? And Kyrie Irving, he might be engaging in some high-octane performance art at the moment. Uh, but I, I respect anybody who's saying, yeah, maybe this isn't for me right now. And yes, I know he was photographed at a party, not being COVID safe, but that's just part of the magic that is Kyrie. 
Uh, my favorite Kyrie moment over the last couple weeks is someone sent me a screenshot of this big Zoom call of like 50 people from Brooklyn. Uh, and I guess it was all over New York, really. But it was a- an event for this woman named Tane Abushi, who's running for DA and in, in NYC. And um, just one of the little faces in there on the Zoom, it just said Kai Irving. And there he is just sort of sitting there trying to learn about somebody who's running for DA. Uh, to that, I say more power to you. No doubt about it. And I don't know, I just, I know Kyrie is a polarizing figure, to put it mildly. And I still think it's dope. Oh, just to be clear, her name is Tahane Abushi, and she's running for a Manhattan district attorney. So just to be clear about the facts on that. Um, the Just Sit Your Ass Down Award, Sit Your Ass Down. Sit your ass down. I was tempted to also give it to Kyrie Irving. But... <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. Um, instead, we're like we gotta go with Cleet Keller, uh, who we discussed, of course, uh, with Chris Mosier. Cleet Keller, uh, he's been charged with uh, one of these crimes that looks like they're just gonna get slap on the wrist for storming the Capitol, for being part of the fascist mob. Um, Cleet Keller is a gold medal winning swimmer. I spoke to another gold medal winning swimmer um, off the record this week about Cleet Keller. And he said that they've actually put they put down some dictates saying that they don't even want people to talk about what's happening with him. Like, so you get the feeling that the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee wants to sweep this issue very under the rug, that one of their gold medalists was part of a fascist mob. But we shouldn't forget it. And we also shouldn't forget the parts of Olympism, as I wrote about this week in The Nation with Jules Boykoff, that lead itself down the road of nationalism and white supremacy, which have also always been a part of the Olympic movement, quote unquote, since its beginnings in 1896. Yes, there have been countervailing trends, as we talked about with Chris Mosier, John Carlos and Tommy Smith among them. But remember, those folks were acting in resistance to the politics of Olympism, while Cleet Keller is part of the tradition that saw the Olympics go to Nazi Germany in 1936 and be run by people like fascist sympathizer Avery Brundage and former Franco-fascist youth fighter uh, Juan Antonio Samaranch. So there is something about seeing the Olympics produce somebody like Cleet Keller where it is nothing of a surprise. So Cleet Keller, get your life together and please sit your ass down. And hopefully... You'll see some sort of we'll see some sort of justice for your insurrectionary behavior, but based on the reactions of some of these judges, I'm not particularly hopeful. Well, that's all the time we have this week on the show. Thank you so much to Chris Mosier. For folks out there who want to learn more about Chris Mosier, if people want to talk about trans athletes and sports even more, this terrific website transathlete.com go to transathlete.com go to transathlete.com do that Um, and you can learn more about this issue thank you so much again to you Chris thank you so much to my producer David Tigabu thank you so much to The Nation Magazine and for folks out there listening if you want to support the Edge of Sports podcast it's not difficult to do so it really isn't Um, what you can do we have a Patreon page and we need your support 
So what I want you to do is go to, just do this for me. I don't ask a lot. Go to patreon.com slash edge of sports pod. That's patreon.com slash edge of sports pod and try to support the show so we can continue to give you programming like this. For everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.